1: Twenty seconds. (laughs) Are we starting? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Hugh Living Room, and it is a pleasure to have Linda Drastawich here on the couch. Linda, it's been two years, but hey, it's so good to see you. <laughs>
0: Thank you for having me. I'm very happy to be here. Very happy to see all of you. And uh, yeah, has it really been two years?
1: Uh, Well, maybe save for I think we had something here at the house where yes. we actually oh, that's for the right. fir- first time since all of the shutdowns or whatever, we all got together. But no, this is uh, yeah, it feels on the couch good.
0: it feels good yes it yeah, feels yeah. like yes <laughs> I, it was worth the wait I'm I know I here. know
1: I know all right so there's lots to talk about tonight um, but I you know I sort of uh, wrote everybody and it was um, I guess something that came to mind actually very kind of roundabout uh, there is a musician who lives up north in northern Ontario and he did a video and he asked all of his fans to text him back, message him back on what they're afraid of. What, they're, what, are, the, what are you scared of? And it really kind of hit me. And the video had all of the different messages that he got. I'd be a little freaked out about getting all of these messages <laughs> about all of these different things. And it, uh, and it was, you know, amazing. It was like from spiders and snakes to the dark uh, you know, scary monsters, and then obviously, then there was a lot of other personal, you know, issues too. But I thought, hey, uh, with everything that's crazy going on in our lives and in the world, what are you scared of? Okay,
0: let's <laughs> let's embrace our fears. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, okay, let's yeah, talk I know, fears. I know, and uh, you and I thought of you because you so often talk about that and it's, you know, I guess more or less business related, you know, fear of taking that risk. And I'm sure we're going to, you know, be hearing about that, but yes. And
0: you know, I am a coach and I work with um, my clients who, who like every other human out there has fears. And I would say, one of the most um common fears is what we're going to feel when we take that risk Mm -hmm. it's not the risk itself that scares us it's how am i going to feel when i'm taking that risk and i like to tell people that everything that you really want is on the other side of feeling a really uncomfortable feeling that you're trying to avoid. Hmm. And it's so fascinating. I never really thought of it that way before. Like I would think of things that I was afraid of and I would just be, you you just have this, you know, kind of a bodily resistance to things. Like, Mm -hmm. no, you know, and we all know that (laughs) feeling. No, thank you. Um, But when I started to explore it more and learn more about coaching and helping people, you know, face their fears and go through it, the more you start to realize that it is the feeling that we're, we're afraid of feeling. Mm -hmm. And that's universal. We're all afraid of feeling shame. That's the big one. We're all afraid of feeling rejection. Um, some of us are afraid of disappointment, um, guilt. Um, what else? What, tell me something well, I that mean, you would be afraid of feeling
1: well and, and if you look at health wise right sickness yes, yes. sickness
0: yes mm-hmm.
1: absolutely I was gonna
0: put a caveat on this you know when I talk about fear um, I'm I'm in my coach brain and I'm talking mm-hmm. about things that are when we're taking risks when we are facing challenges in our lives Many people experience fear in a way that I'm not going to be talking about. You know, fear of violence, fear mm-hmm. of um, fear of when their next meal is going to be, fear of, um, you know, uh, extreme poverty, extreme mm-hmm. hardship. Um, that's not really what I'm all talking about. Mm-hmm. That's not really in my wheelhouse. Um, I'm talking about the fears that we have to face on a on a daily basis when we're just (laughs) trying to get through our day.
1: Exactly. Oh, I know. And uh, we were talking beforehand. (laughs) We have a five-month-old boxer (laughs) and I'm going in tonight and I said, okay, uh, I am so scared that this dog is never going to grow out of his puppy stage, is continually going to bite me and think that I'm his chew toy. (laughs) And take advantage of me. So uh, yeah, I do have that fear, but uh, let's, uh, you know, thank you so much, Robin and Sylvia. Good to see you. It's been, uh, yeah, I know. It's good to have you back. Uh, I know we're all kind of cheery and laughing and then what are you scared of?
2: (laughs) (laughs) Sylvia. Um, Well, I'll tell you, if you'd asked me this question six or seven years ago, my answer would have been everything. Surprisingly, independent businesswoman, I was working in a clinic, I, you know, was managing financially, I was married, I had a family, had a beautiful home in the country. Um, And it's interesting, because I was, and I'm really open about this, I've sought out counseling my entire life, because as a counselor and a coach, I can't do my own surgery, I can't do my own coaching at times, right, because I'm in the middle of it. So I'd gone to see my counselor, and he said to me, "How would you describe your predominant emotional state? Are you happy?" And I said, "No." And he said, "What emotion would you would you say you feel the most?" And I said, "Fear." And he said, "What are you scared of?" And I said, "Everything." And it was true. I had developed a pervasive fear. And this is what happens to people when they are in the stress response for a really long time, when it's chronic, kind of like what people are going through right now, you become so hypersensitive to things. And there's a physiological reason for this. I actually just did two presentations today because it's National Safety Week, Safety and Health Week. And I just did two different presentations for two different organizations, two different provinces today, and we talked about this very thing. When you experience chronic stress, the part of the brain that is responsible for fight or flight actually gets larger. Mm -hmm. They've actually measured this. There's research on this. They've got MRI studies that show that the amygdala actually increases in size and relative to the frontal lobe, takes up way more geography than it should. And your frontal lobe actually shrinks. Now it's reversible before anybody panics and goes, oh my gosh, I've got brain damage from this stress. And what happens is the amygdala perceives threats in everything. So someone at work says, good morning to you. And what your amygdala hears is drop dead and die by Monday. (laughs) And you're in fight or flight, right? And I have had people come to me and say you need to read this email. Read this. Do you see it? And I'm like I don't see it. So you become hypersensitive and you know what I what I often do with my audiences is I take them on a meditation where they have to imagine sucking on a lemon. <laughs> And about 50% of people, it's kind of a, you know, I go through it, like I really get them into it, smelling it, feeling it, tasting it, touching it. And about 50% of people will have this feeling of buzzing or tingling behind their ears because their salivation glands have turned on. We've actually turned on the endocrine system. And when I ask them, where was the lemon? Where's the lemon? Well, the lemon's in your head. It's not real. Fear is the same way. Mm -hmm. It's something in our brain. It's a thought. Oh, my God, did my boss actually just ask me to come and speak to him in his office at three o'clock on a Friday afternoon? What if he's going to fire me? It's just a thought. But that thought carries a physiological signature that changes our body. And we experience fight or flight as a result of that thought. So what I've learned in the last several years, so at the time that I was scared of everything, I was I was in an abusive relationship. Hmm. And that spilled over, that fear spilled over into every aspect of my life. But when I got out of that, the fear and my amygdala <laughs> shrank. And there's not too many things that I'm scared of now. Wow. I mean, you have a tarantula, bring it on. You got snakes, I love snakes. You know, I'm really, I'm not afraid of public speaking. The bigger the crowd, the better. Like very few things that I'm afraid of now because my ability to handle stress is so effective that I can challenge the thought. So when fear comes up, I remind myself, this is just a thought. This thought doesn't have to mean anything if you don't want it to.
1: Wow, the power of the brain, Robin. Oh, yeah, everything. So, and this is maybe a good point too, Robin, to come into this conversation about mental health. And again, too, I believe this this week of May is Mental Health Week too, as well. Yes, it I, is. Yeah. It's I also see. week. Yes, yeah. so there's such similarities, right, in fear. Yeah.
3: Mm-hmm. And your mental health. Look, I, I, you know, when you were talking, I was remembering some conversations with friends of mine who had um, significant diagnosis of mental health issues, and one of my friends talked about they they were comfortable in the discomfort of not being well because they were scared about what it would be like to be well because they had no idea what it would be like to be well and what who they would be because they knew themselves to be and you know I'm on pc right they knew themselves to be the poor little mentally person yeah (laughs) and everyone treated them like the poor little mentally person that needed this cotton wool and this protection and they wanted to step out, but they were scared. They didn't know who they were. They didn't know if they would disappoint people. They didn't know if they would fail, like they'd step out and they'd end up back in the hospital. And so when, when you um, were both talking about it, I was like, yeah, I, re- I really remember those conversations. So some of the conversations that I have when I'm talking with people is, What would it take you to step through that fear zone? Because we often live in this comfort zone, fear zone, learning zone, growth zone. (laughs) And it's like, what does it take to step into that and through it? So I I like this conversation. And then, you know, if I think about fear and mental health, I do want to say... I love the media, but the media often rattle the fear factor out about the crazies that are going to kill everyone. And the research is we're much more likely to be the victims than the perpetrators of crimes. Like us people with our own mental health stuff. And so I think there's that fear of stigma and discrimination. Like, what does that look like? And Like, I'm going to be super honest here, which is nuts because this is recorded. But I'm still waiting for my permanent residency. And one of the things is you have to pass a medical. And, like, I I have, you know, a heart thing. So I got that. I wasn't worried about that. I'm like, ooh. My mental health thing, even though I hadn't seen anyone, like, a psychiatrist or anything for like I don't know 12 years or 13 years or something at the time I had to go and get an assessment to see if I was a risk to Canadian society and oh. that's still pending right theoretically at the time they said yes but even when I feel a bit wobbly and I go oh I wonder if I should go and see someone I go mm-hmm. Mm, that may impact my permanent residency. So we end up with this fear about stigma and discrimination that we might have against us. And I'm actually talking tomorrow on, uh, for Ink Lot Therapy about um, stigma around mental health in the workplace, because mm-hmm. that's one of the big fears for people. Are we gonna be treated badly? Mm -hmm. And it is what Sylvia talked about and and what um, Linda talked about. It's not necessarily real, but we've heard about it. So we're like, what's going to happen? And our fight, flight, all of that goes. Um, Yeah, sorry. I I feel like I'm gibbering, but but it's one of, if we talk mental health, that's one of those things. And. I think we've also got family fears of how we are or are we well or are we unwell. And so we also have this layer of people's trying to control what we do and when we do it and how we do it. And Charlotte and I spend a lot of time and Kirsten talking with families about you've got to let people work this out for themselves. We can be there with them and support them, but you've got to let them work it out because telling people. Um. So there's, there's lots of fears all over the place. And, you know, we know that fear has an impact on our mental health. We know that there's still people in their houses because of COVID that won't leave, mm-hmm. right? So people who maybe didn't have this agoraphobia kind of thing beforehand like i know for a long time because i have a heart issue i was like do i go out don't know and i was just having a discussion just before this com this call with my mum about she's like they've got all these new variants in australia and people are starting to die at a greater rate again and she's like i i what do i do and i'm like well, you're 85, you get a choice. You get to go out and risk it and do what you want or you get to be home. And so there's that having an impact on people's mental health too and the fear of coming back into society after being away. What's it like to engage in conversations with people? <laughs> well, um, we're finding I, out, you know, me and Linda, right now. <laughs> Yeah, I'm like it was only a couple of weeks ago, I went out with Linda and Rana and Amy and a few others and I was like, I haven't seen you in person. And I'm like, do I touch you? Don't I? Like, uh,
2: hello? Hi, nice to meet you. Yeah. You know, this is what happens though. You know, this is exactly what happens, Robin, when you have long term stress, right? Everything becomes terrifying. We are so heightened because we've been living with this for so long that there are people whose fear of spiders or disappointing their parent or ovary, whatever, has become the fear of everything. Yeah.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: It really is. It doesn't take a whole lot. You just have to have some chronic stress for a while for that amygdala to kind of start taking over the operating system of the brain. And now everything's terrifying. But what's really cool is when you start, because our issues live in our tissues, our emotions, find a home and they make us sick. If they're negative emotions, it's really cool for you to just stop and ask yourself, what am I afraid of right now? Cause here's the thing. You can't tell people that their fears are irrational. No. Like fear is fear. If you're scared of something, somebody telling you you shouldn't be scared of that is not going to make you unscared, right? But you can you can work on this yourself. You know, I had this experience, my first time traveling in almost 2 years, I went to work with the um, mining association in Wyoming. And I arrived at the hotel, the Travel was okay. It was fine. You know, I wasn't afraid. It was a lot of planes, uh, three planes, airports, like long day. I arrive at night at the hotel and for about 20 seconds, I have this anxiety that I cannot pinpoint. I'm like, what is going on right now? But this is the cool thing. You learn to stop and tune in. Sylvia, Not what's wrong with you? what's happening to you right now? There's nothing wrong with you. If you're having one of these reactions where you're afraid of everything, you're having a normal reaction to an abnormal situation. So you're okay, you're not mentally ill. Not that there's anything wrong with that. You're just having a normal fear or stress response to something that's very abnormal. So Sylvia, what's happening to you right now? And it took me about 20 seconds to realize that it was all the naked faces in the lobby. There's all these people not wearing masks. Well, this was November. We were still in the middle of it, but not in Wyoming. (laughs) No one was wearing masks there. So when did a human face ever, how did that become scary to us? It's because of the last two years. So fear is very, interesting and it is really not something we can judge but we can work our way through it if we have just a little bit of courage and can ask that question what's happening to me right now and why wow okay right
1: so we've now solved fear but (laughs) uh, so how do you differentiate or uh, between stress then and fear
0: stress and fear well i think they would probably have the same physiological response in the body um and i'm glad you were saying that sylvia about um what did you say about the tissues the
1: issues and the issues issues.
0: (laughs) i love that that's that's very clever i'm going to remember that um sometimes it doesn't matter what like sometimes sometimes it is helpful to stop and say what is, you know, as you were saying, Sylvia, stop and say, you know, what is going on with me? But for me, I'm I'm Mm -hmm. thinking about your puppy and the conversation we were having. And, you know, to train a puppy, the first thing is get them exercised and move them so you can actually discipline and love them. We're going to use that. (laughs) Let's (laughs) use that. Okay. Because for me, when I, um, when I went through extreme periods of stress and, fear in my life. It was also a, um, post-separation. Um, and it was uh, the things that helped me the most to be able to calm myself enough to seek counseling, do some journaling, um, you know, talk to a friend was I had to be in my body. I had to work out, do yoga, I really it because fear and stress does sit in our bodies mm-hmm. um, to be able to deal with it effectively, you really do need to be in touch with what's going on in your body and really move it you know treat it well, um, you know drink some water you know <laughs> yes. half of our problems will you know, <laughs> <laughs> be if, if you drink a glass of water eat a good snack take a walk do some meditation and get a good night's rest the other half of your problems will still be there but a lot of them will be much more manageable mm-hmm. so really tapping into um, just those very basic care for your body um, self-compassion for for you know for your body poor body that takes the brunt of the stress Mm -hmm. you know it originates yes in our thoughts but it it courses through our bodies and so if you can work out you know however you like to for me it's walking of course because I have the big dog as well yes I
1: know (laughs) (laughs) to do that Um, so yeah um so that probably applies to a lot of us but there are circumstances where there is a chemical imbalance mm-hmm. right sylvia and robin robin you yep. can yeah and so medicating how I guess, important is that, I mean, obviously, like, we don't want to, but as a last resort? Uh, I wouldn't even say it last resort. No? I think
0: that actually stigmatizes it. I okay. think that we can, because that's often how we talk about medication. Still, yeah. it's a last resort, and it, it, it makes it seem like, you know, you have to be really suffering... Mm -hmm. in order to take medication and I think medication can be seen as this is something my brain needs just like if you were a diabetic and you Mm -hmm. needed insulin my brain has a chemical issue at the moment I'm going to take medication get it balanced and you know get some talk therapy as well and some you know peer support of course Um, but I think being able to see medication as a very um, a very normal part of treating um, uh, an, yeah. a, a, an a issue with your a- brain.
3: Yeah. I, I think it's one of these things for me, I'm not anti or pro medication. I'm pro informed choice. And I think one of the things that I struggle with at the moment is often medication is one of those things that's given as a first choice. Yes. Yeah, like take this medication, and I get it. It's it's the place for me about people having it as it's one of the two, but it's only one, mm. and we don't allow people to hear about all of the other options and support them. To work it out for themselves we still have so many people that are told medication is the only answer here you go take this make sure you stay on this and i for me as a like i don't take medication and i have a diagnosis of bipolar disorder and i haven't for uh i don't know 14 years i think now and I know friends of mine who take it and it saves their lives. My thing is we've got to be able to share all of the options with people and allow them to work it out. Because, A, I don't think medication's a last resort, although for some people it might be. And I get, Linda, why you say we don't want to stigmatise it, but we don't want to put it up as the first thing either. Mm -hmm. We want to say here's the range let's work with you to find out what it is if medications it for you more power to you if it's not more power to you mm-hmm. but but it's still one of those things that it, it's still the encouraged don't have medication
1: robin I like- oh I, sorry <laughs> i was just i'm curious now were you
3: prescribed medication for bipolar. Oh did you t- and oh my what god yes so when when I first got diagnosed, this is how it happened. This guy goes, Oh, you've got bipolar disorder. Take this pill every day, come back and see me in a mum. I'm like. Um, and I've had times where I've had some more medication when you know things have been a little tougher. And truth be told, the last time I was on medication, it was a very high dosage. And I would have conversations with my friends and they're like, shit, you must be really crazy to have that <laughs> much. And I was like, "Oh," um, But I didn't, the side effects, I didn't like the side effects. And, you know, like we're, we're all lovely and uh uh, uh, the side effects for me were i couldn't have an orgasm and i had no libido and i'm like i am not going to spend the rest of my life like that so <laughs> i was like i have to work something out and there's days where it's a little tougher and there's days like Ooh. um but i'm i'm committed for me it, it's not something i i want i i I have a, a friend who was, who's had every diagnosis, non mankind that every drug. And after like 25 years and ECT and like treatment centers and psych wards, and <laughs> they found out she was allergic to gluten. Yeah. She doesn't have gluten. She has no mental health symptoms, but nobody checked those things out first. Right. And so, I, like, I, as I said, I'm not anti or pro medication or not. Like, I'm like, let's support the person to explore, like, a whole range of things and see what it is for them. So, yeah, I've taken it and I've always said if there's a time I feel like it would be helpful, then maybe I would go and have it for a little bit. Wow. Um, so Sylvia
1: too, and then I'm, I'm curious too, for Linda, what was it that made the turnaround for you to make your duba or whatever brain (laughs) (laughs) shrink? Part of the brain
2: shrink. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, for me, it was honestly, it was being diagnosed with cancer. I was diagnosed very unexpectedly in 2020. I had a suspicious routine mammogram at the end of 2019. Um, I had surgery just before lockdown in uh, 2020. And honestly, it was, I'll tell you, I can tell you exactly the moment when everything in my life changed. And that was the day after my diagnosis. I went to work. One branch of my business is providing injury prevention services to uh, injured workers or symptomatic workers in, um, I work in a lot of manufacturing companies in the in the province. And so I had a client that I, um, a factory that I was going to, to work in. And I spent three hours helping people and I provide mental health support uh, because we all know what happens to the brain on stress so to try and get people's um, frontal lobes back online and you know get them out of the stress response in that moment get them referred to Eap if it's a long-term issue but I do a lot of mental health support on site lots of injury stuff and i was busy for three hours like not a moment to catch my breath and i didn't tell anybody. In fact, it was only my closest friends and family members who knew about this diagnosis for months. I didn't even tell people that I was having surgery. I was back to work five days after my surgery, not because I was living in denial, but I felt great. But here's the thing that happened that day in the factory, day after diagnosis, where, you know, you have to remember, like, I am... I, I am the healthiest person I know. This is not even possible that this has happened to me. And I literally have a conversation. My surgeon comes in first time I'm meeting the surgeon and she says, so have you decided, are you going to have a complete mastectomy or what are you thinking? And I'm like, was that a menu item? I didn't even know that was an option. Like, why would I do that? And then she goes on to explain how serious and risky and blah, blah, blah. Anyways, that's one day. The next day I'm in this factory. I come out to my car and I am just feeling like I always feel when I leave my injured workers. I just feel really grateful to be able to do the work I do. Like I feel emotional and grateful and so I come out into my car, I put my seatbelt on, car's on, I look in the rearview mirror and I go, hey, you were just diagnosed with cancer. And for three hours, Sylvia, you didn't even think about yourself once. And you helped all those people. And that was the turning point for me. I had a moment when I was talking to my kids about it and about the treatment. I had a moment, I was crying, I was sad, I was scared. But that next day, when I realized that cancer was not an obstacle to me helping people, that I could do that work and give a thousand percent in spite of that, that was the most powerful feeling in the world. I'm like, this is nothing. I got stuff to do. This is never going to stop me. It didn't stop me this morning. It will never stop me. I know what my purpose on this planet is. Bring it on. Nothing's stopping me. That I will never forget that moment as long as I live. I have thanked those workers so many times for that experience that day. Because if it wasn't for them, maybe I would have been wallowing in it. And there's nothing wrong with that. But I'm not good at wallowing. I'm not a good wallower. So (laughs) me that was the thing. And nothing ever will be terrifying to me in that way again. Because what I know about me, what I know about you, I don't know you ladies very well, but I know this. You have 100% success at getting through every problem you've ever faced. Like, what can you ever say in your life you have 100% success with? Do you have 100% success with good hair days? No. Do you have 100% success with every task you've ever written? No. But every problem you've ever faced is in the past. So 100% success. So I know that no matter what happens, because of all of that, that I will get through whatever comes with success, 100%. So I don't live with fear really about anything anymore. That's not an invitation to the universe to challenge me, by the way. <laughs> oh, no,
1: no, no. But it's, that is like so cool. And if you can kind of think of it talking about conquering fears, it's finding that calmness or that feeling that, that of good. I, and yeah. that could feel different in everybody, but it's that good feeling, right? And I'm, right. And I'm sure, what, what was your epiphany during what your struggle? My epiphany. I had many epiphany. What a great word. <laughs> many epiphanies. <And>, you know,
0: <laughs> it made me think of, you know, what you were talking about, Robin, about, you know, medication. And, you know, it's, it's, it's an option, but it's one option, Right. And for me um, all of the things that I did to when I was probably at my most stressed was you know I, I was going through a separation two young kids on my own my dad had just passed away and my mom was diagnosed with dementia and there was family issues I'd say that was probably at my height of stress and it wasn't one thing that worked it was um it was a, a, a toolbox full of things that I tried. And I like yoga and diet and meditation and friends and walking and um, reading podcasts. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. like I I've always been a seeker of knowledge and so, you know, I would get my girls to bed and then I would be up researching. I remember reading, Um, researching um, how to have a compassionate divorce. And there weren't that many articles that I found on the internet (laughs) on that, but there were some. And I was so determined to get through this um, for my daughters. You know, like I was like, I am not going to be a hot mess forever. Like I am going to get it together. And so I just like all the tools you know like I just amassed them and uh, really um, it was interesting you said that about finding that sense of calm in mm-hmm. ourselves and I think Sylvia you you talked about this is it, our thoughts really do create our feelings mm-hmm. and so for me one of the biggest tools that I found was coaching and thought work that said and it was a revelation for me maybe other people knew this all along I wish they'd told me a lot earlier that we can all have the same circumstance right the pandemic that's a circumstance it's happening but how we think about it Mm -hmm. determines how we feel and determines the actions that we're going to take and so For me, the circumstance of the pandemic, my thoughts were often, you know, just, I'll, you know, do what the, you know, the health um, uh, uh, protocols are. I'm pretty sure I'm going to be okay. That was the thought I had access to. I was privileged Mm -hmm. enough to have access to that thought in my brain. made me feel calm. You know, Mm -hmm. which meant I just went about my day, Mm -hmm. you know, I added in the protocols, Mm -hmm. and the result was, for the most part, I felt pretty good. You Mm -hmm. know, I felt like I didn't feel a lot of fear. For a lot of people, the exact same circumstance was, thought was, I'm going to die. (laughs) Right? (laughs) And a lot of people did very legitimately have that thought. Yeah. I'm going to die. Their feeling was panic. Mm Mm-hmm. And, you know, action that you take when you feel panic, you shut down, you stay at home, you don't see people, you, you know, you, you're in fear response. So, um, for me, um, the biggest tool that I use daily is, is understanding that thought model that my thoughts create my feelings Mm
2: -hmm.
0: and create my actions and create my results. So Knowing that means that I have the control to try and nudge my thoughts if I'm in a thought model that says, you know, this day is just utter crap. And I see that. And and Sylvia, I like the way you said challenge that thought. um, Mm -hmm. And I am like, I'm going to try and move my brain, move my focus over to what's working and I'm able to say, oh, you know what, actually, you know, this is working in my life. This, went, this call went great. You know, I've got another call booked. This is going well. My feeling that I create mm-hmm. with that thought is calm, certainty, yes. confidence. Then I'm able to take action. That means, you know, I get the results that I want, which is a good day. Exactly. So really, you know, I think uh, for me, one of the biggest tools is... Is knowing that thought work, and the revelation that most of the thoughts that we think aren't
1: true—they're mm-hmm. all fake. <laughs> <laughs> it's fake news up there. <laughs> well, and if we take that Robin as some medicine for mental health, it's—and I guess that, that that's that's part of the struggle, right, for people that are struggling to look at what is working in their life or what is positive in their life um, and, and make the brain think about that, right? Instead of the negative, or is that possible?
3: Yeah, it's it's an interesting one. I, I think it's possible. And I'm a, a yeah, and maybe I go against some of this, right? I'm like, if I'm having a bad day, I allow myself to have a moment. I'm like, it's okay. There are some days I will challenge the thought and there are some days I'm like, it's okay to lay in my bed for a few hours here and just be in it. And I think it's the place about like not getting on ourselves if we have a moment. And I think that's one of the things that happens too is sometimes we're like, no, but you've got all these great things in your life. Why do you want to kill yourself? And I'm going to say it because I've had people say that to me when I've talked about that. And I want to stab their eyes out with an ice pick when people are trying to get me to think about all these positives. And then I get down on myself because I'm like, I have all these amazing things in my life. Why aren't I grateful for it? Why aren't I getting up? Why aren't I happy? And and I've learned for me that I say it's okay to have moments where I don't feel great and I have these thoughts and it's okay to challenge them at different moments. And so I think like for people that like I train around peer support and doing peer support, I say we can be in conversations with people, but we're not trying to get them anywhere. We want them to explore it for themselves. Mm-hmm. And, and so, yeah, I Absolutely. just...
0: Absolutely. You know, Robin, that re- it, it, for me, what was interesting about learning about the thought model was it actually allowed me to feel more negative emotion and be okay with it Mm -hmm. and not try and like, I I think so often we are, you know, you feel that negative emotion and most of us are trying to like run away from it as fast as we can. And that we often run away by either, you know, overeating over drinking over, you know, something right. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: So for me, it was interesting that it wasn't kind of a, um, a relentless search for that positivity because I think that's a mm-hmm. life is 50 50 life half of its crap and half of its good right it's just that's what life is and so for me it meant I didn't if I had one of those days like feeling shame or humiliation or you know despair I could sit with it in my body more and go okay this is a human feeling it's part of the tapestry of human emotion. We're meant to feel mm. despair at times. When somebody you love dies, it's you know nobody needs to put a positive spin on that. Um, it 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 can break your heart. And so, for me, yeah, allowing emotion is part of that uh, um, part of that whole picture for me. Mm. Yeah. I would
2: totally agree with that. Mm-hmm. I always say, you know, my during the pandemic um, to help myself, I had a I'm testing positive cam, campaign. It was, uh, you know, thumb to the nose of COVID because everybody was afraid to test positive for COVID. So I just flipped around that meaning and I had this I'm testing positive campaign. And what it was was um, it was private personal therapy that no one knew was playing out in social media because no one knew I had been diagnosed with breast cancer, and so it was my effort to be focused on what I have, what I can do, um, what is good in my life. But you know, when I repeated this over and over in in the messaging. I am not advocating rose-colored glasses. Mm -hmm. I am not advocating toxic positivity. I am advocating that you experience whatever it is that you're going through, but recognize that you are not your circumstances. Your circumstances can be really horrible, but that doesn't mean anything about your life or who you are. It's a moment everything will be in the past someday, every moment, this moment will be in the past in a moment, right? So it's, it's what you talked about, Linda. It's about getting the energy of the negative emotion out. You could still feel it and experience it, but it doesn't have to harm you. It carries a physiological signature that is harmful. But Robin, when you take a day and you say, you know, today's a day, I am going to engage in some radical self-care. You've actually already shifted yourself physiologically Mm -hmm. for the better because you're enjoying the, not enjoying perhaps, but you're giving yourself permission to stay in bed. Yeah. You know, it's like I'm taking a rest day. This is radical self-care. It's radical self care isn't bubble baths. It's mm-hmm. setting boundaries and limits. And sometimes you need to set boundaries and limits with yourself and say, no, you don't have to be Wonder Woman, Superwoman. You can just be ordinary Robin today and take a break.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: You can stay in your pajamas. You can stay in bed. You cannot answer the phone. You can tell people, I feel like I want to die today. It's that kind of day. And the people who love you are gonna say, Robin, I'm not here to change your mind, to make it better, to tell you to buck up, yeah. to tell you to do your gratitude journal. I'm just gonna sit with you if you want me to. If it's if that's not what you want, if it's okay with you, I'm just gonna say a prayer for you and I'm gonna check on in you, check in on you later. Is that okay? Whatever Robin says is what I do. I think it was Ram Das who said we're we're just here to walk each other home.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Right? I'm not here to fix anything for you. You're not here to fix anything for me. I just want to sit with you while you suffer so that you don't feel alone. Yep. And I need you to do that for me.
1: Yeah. Wow.
2: Group hug, I know, girls. I
1: know. I know. I mean, I, I this conversation, yeah, went totally in different forms (laughs) okay so I'm just going to throw it out there because we were talking on the last show about the woohoo things and magic and crystals and okay so all Pollyanna and you know suck it up don't cry can't show emotion um, you know keep all your stress inside that's what how we've been taught right and always be successful no, fi- failure is not an option. Right. So even we as women, and we talk about emotions because yes, we are the more emotional species, I guess, I will, I'll call it that. How do we, because this is really important. This could be a breakthrough for all of the mental health issues out there. Right, Robin? Like really, if we allowed ourselves, right, to have those days, live with the negativity, but it's hard because there's so much outside stuff putting pressures on us to be something that really is not healthy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what do we do?
0: Well, for me, I'll give you an example that I was was talking about with a friend of mine today. And uh, we were talking about like my coaching business and Mm -hmm. she was talking about a project that she wanted to pursue. And she was, I, she was like, I don't want to do this because I don't want to be salesy. I don't want to hear rejection. Uh, You know, I'll feel bad. I'll feel disappointed. I'll, you know, that, that Mm -hmm. I won't succeed basically. And I said, what's interesting for me is As a coach and like the month of May my goal is to sign three new clients to do that I'm probably going to have to hear about six no's like Mm -hmm. no thank you like direct if if I'm really doing my job well like I will say to a client you know some Mm -hmm. a potential client you know I can help you would you like to work with me and to Get my goal of three people to sign I'm gonna have to hear people say to me to my face no I don't want, want what you have to offer and I have to be willing to hear no have to feel disappointment rejection um, failure um, what else uh, juicy embarrassment um, foolish, um, like I'm bothering somebody, um, all, oh, and, you know, my favorite, of course, you know, what are they thinking of me, right? What that's, when we're talking fear, we can't bypass the, what does everyone think of me? Um, that's one of the biggest ones, right? right?
2: What would they say?
0: (laughs) What are they going to say? You know, um, which, you know, that, that stops most of us in our tracks for almost everything. So but that's interesting in order to succeed to mm-hmm. I I have to fail. I yes. have to. I have to go through that to get the result I want. So for me part of the process of success is learning yeah that it, it's just completely normal to fail and yeah. It's it's uh, it's just part of the part of the process. Um, it's yeah. easier said than done. It sounds mm-hmm. simple, but it's not easy.
1: No, and I that's why yeah. you
0: hire a coach.
1: Yes, <laughs> hire a coach, yeah. and you have peer support, <laughs> right? Oh, I mean, it, it is hard. Like Robin too. I mean, in your line of work, it, it is hard.
3: Um. I don't know if I call my line of work hard. Are you talking about selling some of our services? Well, but even at that to Are too, you but, talking yeah. about chatting with people? Because
1: no, I, I, yeah.
3: I don't think my line of work is hard at all. Yeah. Like, I think my line of work is this beautiful, humbling experience of getting to know people Mm -hmm. on a personal level, and it doesn't matter. Like, I hear so often people are like, that person's really suffering. I'm like, hey, let's have a chat. And it's just this beautiful place to be with people. There are no English words that describe it. There's a Māori word which is afi. And Araha. Affi's like kind of uh, pulling you in and Araha is love. And what I do for a living is like the epitome of that. I don't I don't find yeah. it hard or difficult. Yeah. I find it beautiful and inspiring. So I would say that you really don't have any fear in your life
1: then, Robin. <laughs>
3: oh i have fear i'm australian i grew up with snakes that like look at you and kill you i grew up with spiders that look at you and kill you i grew up with white pointers that you go swimming as a kid and your parents are like oh get out of the water now like do i have fear yes i have fear i i i have fears about never getting to go home to australia and see my mom again like that's right up there now because mm-hmm. she's having some struggles. And I'm like, give me my permanent residency so I can go home, please. Um, okay, please. So yeah, there's, there's fears, but not about what I do for a living. What I mm-hmm. do for a living, and regardless of whether there's months where it's like, oh, well, we have enough money to keep going next month, I'm like... I'm just gonna have faith and go for it because mm-hmm. I just have the best job
2: in the world. Like
3: I, I have the best
2: job in the world. I How work. yes. No. <laughs> I could not agree more. And you know what I find, guys, is that when you live in your purpose, there's a surrender that comes with that where you couldn't get in your own way if you tried because it's gonna happen with or without me this thing that i do this thing that robin does this thing that linda does this thing that you do tracy it's it's got a life of its own Mm -hmm. it is a divine gift that um and it's interesting because people sometimes i think misunderstand the difference between boasting and, um, or being full of yourself and just being, um, grateful for a gift. If somebody gave me a beautiful sweater and someone said, you know, wow, that's a beautiful sweater. I'd say, yes, it is. It was a gift. That's not boasting. What I do, what Robin does, what Linda does, this is a gift Mm -hmm. that was given to us. Uh, so to say that we are good at what we do, and that we have passion and love and joy every moment of of what we do, and I can say that I certainly experience that. I mean, I'd never say this to my clients, but I do it for free because it's <laughs> it's what I'm here for. I have to do this.
3: That and was I'm- just recorded. You know, <laughs> that.
2: I can oh, go everywhere
3: you. now.
1: <laughs> oh, phone! You guys are all gonna get DM'd and message. <laughs> like, oh my! These I like are that free. free speaker. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, free, free. <laughs> but you, but you get my point, right? Like, this is. There's a surrender that comes with knowing, that you are doing what you're supposed to do, so everything you need will just it'll be there. I don't. I honestly don't know how I made it through the the last two years financially with my work being stopped so many times. And when I mean stopped, I mean, I mean a Zoom presentation for three hundred bucks, like every month and a half or two months. Who who can survive on that? And three hundred dollars for a Zoom presentation? I've spent thirty years getting this knowledge, but that's what the market was. Mm-hmm. So how this has all happened? I don't know. But one thing I've learned for sure, get out of my own way, everything's going to be fine. It's all good. It's all going to happen the way it's supposed to. That's my choice, right? Not everybody sees life that way, but boy, has it been liberating. It's like coming home after work when your bra's too tight and taking it off. It is the (laughs) best feeling. I have never been more at peace and, and in harmony with my entire life as I am now. Oh. And it's been, it's been a <laughs> bit of a roller coaster, <laughs> but it's, this yeah. is what sometimes adversity teaches you, right? So yeah. how else do you learn these lessons?
1: Well, you know what? Uh, I just like appreciate everybody's honesty and always words of wisdom to make things seem much better and not as bad as things really are. So thank you everybody for joining us. Sylvia, Robin, always a pleasure. And we gotta get some of your jokes in, okay? (laughs) In the next few shows. Uh, Robin is actually in a competition. Uh, Yes, Uh, what is it? The funniest person with a day job. So we're out to support.
2: Robin, you win. (laughs)
1: <laughs> oh well. Anyways, thank you so so much, and for all of you out there, I just want to say, go to lenardtaylor dot Go to I like you twenty when you register out, and you'll get twenty percent off of some of his fantastic fashion. So thank you, Lenard. Thank you, Linda. It's been thank a pleasure. You for having me Yes, I know it's been so good. Thanks
0: for the great conversation, you guys. Yes, yes thank
2: it's really you. Awesome. And Tracy. Okay, and Rob, so good please. to
1: see you. Okay, good night everybody
2: no. good night See everyone good
1: night. no more fears no more fears no more fears
0: I speak to athletes, outdoor professionals, and scientists about their connection to nature, how it affects their performance, and everyday life. Let's Take This Outside, available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, and at letstakethisoutside.ca. Hi, this is Candace Sampson,
3: the voice behind What She Said. My show is your destination for stories that not only entertain, but also educate and empower. Every week, I spotlight strong female voices from across Canada, women who are changing the narrative and driving change. Don't miss out on these inspiring episodes. Subscribe on Apple, Spotify, and Amazon Music, or head over to WhatSheSaidTalk.com. What She Said can also be heard on BlastTheRadio.com, Mondays at 5 p.m. and Wednesdays at 7 p.m. That's BlastTheRadio.com.
1: It's time to dive into the stories that truly matter. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.